Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. So uh, last week, um, I was sharing with, with you guys uh, that I'd love for you to read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Um, sometimes I, 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 I ask people to do stuff like that, and they'll feel embarrassed or feel awkward when they, if they don't remember. Um, let's, let's move all of that out of the way. Uh, we, don't, we don't need any of that. Just if, if, you, um, if you didn't remember or maybe, I, maybe you weren't here last week when I asked to do this, I'd love for you to, to do this this week, to just uh, take a little bit of time each day and read uh, three verses. Um, uh, actually, four verses. <laughs> uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Um, and it's in your bulletin if, you, if, you got, if you're actually here in person. Um, and love for you to write it down and do it. Uh, my friend Karen will send out a reminder early, later this week. But um, just to read it each, each day. It's, it's a reminder, basically. Uh, it just describes how Christ was equal with God. But he didn't, he didn't take that equality like something that, that he would be, he's afraid someone could take from him. Or like he had, felt like he had to hold, hold on to it. In fact, he did the opposite. He said, okay. Take this equality away from me. Um, he allowed himself to be made lower uh, and became a servant. And the way that we talked about this um, last week um, was, was this. We, 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 said, we said Christ was in first place. Uh, he was equal with God. Um, he was one with God. And then at some point he decided he would take second place. He would, he would lower himself and become in second place. And he didn't stop there, though. He took, it, he took it a step further, and he went into third place, and he, he shoved all of us over into second place. And, he, and here's why, and here's why, here's why. He did it so that um, we wouldn't have to face eternal punishment away from him. Um, and, and the only way that that could happen is that, that we reached this high ideal that God had for us. Um, it, it was this impossible ideal of this is where his glory's at. That's the ideal. And he said, hey, if you want to spend eternity with me, you've got to meet me there. And Jesus, seeing that that wasn't going to happen, <laughs> he lowered himself and said, I'll lift you up. I'll make it, I'll make it so, so that you, uh, you can do it. And, and he learns to embrace third place. Um, he puts his father first. He puts all of us in second place. And he learns to embrace third place. Um, second part of what I asked you to do last, last week is this. Father, teach me to embrace third place. Teach me to embrace third place. You first, others second, me third. Um, This is exactly what Jesus did. This is exactly what Jesus did. He came down to earth, down to third place to make it it so we could be together. And at the end of his life, after he did all of that, he said this. He says, now I give you a new command. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. Embrace third place. Embrace third place. The way that I, you see me embrace third place, that's what I want you to do. Follow me. Do what I do. Do it, do, it, do it just like me. Do it just like me. So today I want to be specific about one of the ways that we can do that. Um, loving from third place means this. Loving for, and this is where I want us as a church to implement this. Loving from third place means this. It means we have this ideal. We hold up the ideal while wading down into the real. We, should, we hold up a picture 
of how things should be. And then we give our lives to making the real match that thing. So you've got this picture, you've got this dream about how you think things should be or how you think your life should be or how you think 2021 should go. And you give up your life. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to descend into the real and make the ideal a reality. So and let me explain what I mean. Let me explain what I mean. So in my house, um, I have this ideal about what I want dinner time to look like. Uh, and, um, there, there, there are lots of good reasons for it. I want to, I want to connect with my family. Uh, I, I want us to be able to talk about our day. I want us to connect over Christ. Um, in addition to all of that, there's lots of research that talks about the idea of families who eat together, stay together. It's better for your mental health. It's better for your physical health and your eating habits. It's lots, lots of, lots of good reasons why, um, eating together is super important. So I've got this picture in my mind of what our family meals will be like every day, every day. Uh, so first it starts off with someone saying it's dinner time and everybody drops what they're in the middle of whatever they're doing. They're holding their iPads and they drop them on the ground and they run to the dinner table and they're super excited to be together. And uh, so you, you, everyone's, everyone, so everyone's sitting around. We can't wait. Um, it's a super delicious dinner that everybody loves. Everyone, everyone's totally into. Um, we, uh, we can't, oh, when we get to the table, we all wait for everyone to get there before anyone starts eating. Um, we all hold hands and we pray. And then everyone shares their most intimate thoughts and details of their day. And at the, at, you know, at the end of the meal, everyone walks away being like, man, this was the best part of my day. Um, they just love it. So that's in my mind, you know, this, that's my, this is my ideal of what dinner time should look like every day. Um, so believe it or not, uh, that puts a little bit of pressure on my family. Uh, there's tension in regards to um, what, that, what that ends up looking like or feeling like. Um, sometimes we have dinner late. Um, sometimes people are busy or tired. Um, they don't want to sit at the table. Um, somebody doesn't like the meal. Uh, whatever. And then I get angry. I get angry because people aren't cooperating with uh, my ideal uh, of what dinner should be like. What I want them, what I want them to look like, and to, to, to make matters worse, sometimes I have a picture, I have this ideal of what I want dinners to look like, but I don't lift a finger in order to make them look like this. You guys, <laughs> so here's what I, you know, this is what we talked about last week. I've got the ideal. This is what I want to happen, and I want all of you to help make it happen. And then you know. I don't, I don't have just have ideals about dinner, obviously. I have ideals about our church that affect you. Um, I have this ideal about what I think our church should look like. Uh, let, me, let me share this with you. It says this. <clears throat> the believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. They shared everything with each other. They ate together and prayed together. Many wondrous wonders and miraculous signs were happening um, through the apostles and everyone felt great respect for God. All the believers stayed together and shared everything. They sold their land and the things they owned. They divided the money and gave it to those who needed it. The believers shared a common purpose and every day 
every day, they spent much of their time together in the temple area, and they also ate together in their homes. They were happy to share their food and and, uh, ate with joyful hearts. And the believers praised God and were respected by all the people. And more and more people were being saved every day. And the Lord was adding them to their group. This is my my dream. My ideal. Not just because the church is is growing every day or people are being added every day. Not, not, I mean, that's, that's, for me, that's kind of like a sidebar or like a side part of what's happening. I mean, they're, they're sharing everything. Their, their lives, their, I mean, their food, their, their money, their lives, everything, everything's being shared. Um, they're united. They're completely one. They're completely one. Um, and nothing can tear them apart. Uh, and I think that's, I think that, and we've talked about this before. I think that's why I take it so personally when we're not living up to this, to this, <laughs> Or there's fights among us, or, or, or we approach the church family like it's expendable, like, you know, it's take it or leave it. You know, if it, if it happens, awesome. If it doesn't, who cares? It doesn't matter to me that much. Um, I, I, it hurts my heart. I take it personally. I take it personally because this is my ideal, and I'm, I want everybody to live up to my ideal. And if you don't, then I get upset. I get upset. And honestly, the, the real truth is this. Honestly, it's likely that maybe you have an ideal for me that I haven't lived up to. In your mind, you say, this is what a pastor is, and I haven't done it. I haven't lived up to your ideal for, for what you think a pastor should be or what a, what a pastor should do. Um, and obviously, we've all got ideals for lots of our relationships, for our kids or our parents, um, our siblings, our coworkers, our friends. We've got ideas or ideals in our mind of what we think those relationships should be. And so my question is this. My question is this. What do we do when the people around us don't live up to the ideals that we have for them? What do we do? And obviously, most of the time, we get angry, right? Hurt and anger and complaining and bitterness if we're not careful. And and we make people miserable by letting them know just how much they're not living up to. And you, you certainly have people in your life like that where you, you never feel like you're going to be good enough. We make other people miserable by letting them know that you're not living up to my ideal. Or we give up. We give up. You know, the ideal, we give up on the ideal. No one's going to reach it anyway, so I'm like, who cares? I'm going to give it up. It's kind of like, kind of like saying, I mean, certainly in Ann Arbor, maybe you, you approach it like this. I mean, the ideal is like, sex with somebody you're married to but that's unrealistic so why don't we just we why don't we lower it down to like you know just don't get a, a, a disease or unwanted pregnancy you know that's 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 what we're gonna go with and obviously if you if you make the if you make that the ideal if you lower the ideal to that then people are missing out people are missing out on, on something great you're stealing from the next generation so what do we do? What do we do? Loving from the third place means this. Loving from the third place means this. We hold up the ideal while wading into the real. We hold up what, what should be. We say, this is what should be. But then you get down into the real and help make it and give your life to help make it happen. 
to help make it happen. This is how Jesus loves us, of course, right? He holds up these impossible ideals. He gives, he, gives us, he gives us this kind of life to live up to, and, and he wants us to live up to them, and of course, we're not going to. He gives us a command that we cannot keep, and then he helps us keep it, which reveals this truth. I need Christ to obey Christ. When I was growing up, you know, I thought, you know, I, I had all these rules in my mind, and I was killing it, I'm killing it, I'm killing it, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty awesome at these rules. But when, it, when, you, when you start getting into the real things that Christ is asking you to do, we need Christ to obey Christ. You can't even obey Christ without, without him. We do it his way, and he makes what's impossible possible. When Jesus was on earth, religious leaders, love, you know, religious leaders probably still love to do this. We love, love, love to hold up ideals and then make you feel bad for not living up to them. Shame you for not, not living up to them. Like I do with dinner. Say, this is my ideal. This is what I want you to do. And then not lift a finger to help people live up to the ideals. And Jesus comes along and he gives us something different. So I want to share this example with you. Maybe this will help. So once when Jesus was surrounded by people, the religious leaders come over to him and they have a question for him. And they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So when Jesus was physically on earth, we've talked about before, when Jesus was physically on earth, the, the issue of divorce was hotly debated um, topic amongst Jewish people. Um, they, they found, they, they took one verse and they, they all kind of descended on it and, and thought about it. And, and I'll share that verse with you from Deuteronomy. This, this is the verse right here. It says, a man might marry a woman and then find some secret thing about her that he does not like. If, the, if that man is not pleased with her, he must write the divorce papers and give them to her. Then he must send her from his house. So um, there's two schools of thought about how this, how this worked at that time. Um, one was from a school, a school this, it was called the school of Hillel. And what, that, what they thought was a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. Um, some, of, some of you guys have heard this before. If, he didn't make, if she didn't make his dinner right, um, if his wife had an attitude, uh, if he found a, a woman that he thought was more attractive than his wife, any of these would be reasons for divorcing his wife. And it was very, very easy. All he had to do was find a little scroll and write on it, hey, guess what? We're divorced. Hand that to her and send her out of his house. Send, that, send her out of his house. And that, was, and that was it. That was it. The second school of thought was from the school of Shammai and um, the, the, the school, this school taught that a man could only divorce his wife if she was sexually unfaithful to him. So when Jesus was, was talking um, about this subject publicly, certainly, certainly um, he was going to create enemies. Uh, and that's exactly what the religious leaders wanted, wanted to do. They, they wanted Jesus bogged down in controversy and debate. And that's why they asked him, they asked him this question. So Jesus responds to, his question, to their question by, by saying this. This is what he says. Haven't you read, which they wouldn't have liked him saying that. Bible religious leaders, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate 
Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your, heart, your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So when Jesus said these words, certainly uh, a man divorcing his wife for whatever reason um, they felt like was, was common. Certainly there were divorced people in the crowd sitting there listening. listening. So Jesus says this super, super high ideal for marriage and divorce. He says, hey, you get married, you're one, that's it. And so Jesus says this this ideal so high that his closest followers, when they're standing around him, he gets done talking and they're like, whoa, Jesus, that's crazy talk. In fact, if that's the rule, if if that's how we have to approach marriage, it's better that we don't even get married. That's, that's, that's what his closest followers said. They're saying the risk is too great. I need to be able to get out of this thing if it goes sideways. And, and, and if I can't, then maybe it'd be better not to get married at all. And Jesus, said, Jesus might say, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty tough. But that's the ideal. That's, this is the ideal. Jesus clarifies what marriage is supposed to be and lays out his thoughts on divorce and divorced people. And divorced people are in the room. And you know, some of them are getting ready to be like, okay, whatever, I'm, I'm out. Thanks, Jesus. Because they know they can't do it. They can't live up to what he's asked. He, he, he puts this ideal way the heck up here and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Jesus stands in the first place and gives this command that's out of reach. So what does he do? So what does he do? We might say, okay, um, Jesus, you said, set a super high standard. So you've told us, you told us about divorce. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do for divorced people? And this is what he was saying. I'm going to love them. I'm going to, I'm going to give my life for them. I'm going to give them everything. Jesus gets up on here. He says, hey, guess what? This is the ideal. Okay, now that you've given us the ideal that you know we can't reach, what are you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to die for you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to die for you. And Jesus does this consistently. If you read Jesus, he does this consistently throughout his ministry. His ministry. He steps up to this impossible ideal, and then he gives he gives his life to help us meet it. He 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 comes on the, he comes on the scene. He says, "Hey, um, you know what? Guess what? If you lust after somebody who's not your wife, you're an adulterer." What? So he he, he makes a statement and makes every guy in the room an adulterer. This is the ideal. And nobody can reach it. No one, none of, none of us can reach it. And he says, okay, what are you going to do for us since now that we are clearly out of, I'm going to love you. I'm going to give my life for you. Jesus doesn't get rid of the ideal. But he gets down with the people and wades into the real. 
He never gets rid of the ideal because we need the ideal to remind us, to give us something to dream towards and look towards and think towards. But he weighs down with us in the real. He doesn't create all these ideals and shame us for not measuring up to them or staying there tapping his foot. I mean, this is, why, this is kind of what we think about how Jesus operates. He's tapping his foot, being super angry. Yeah, you're not doing it. Come on. Get up, get up here. What's wrong with you? He holds up the ideal while waiting down to the real and helps me do my best for reaching that ideal. And this is, this is, this is how he loves us. And then his final, final command is, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So at some point in your life, you had an ideal. You had a dream of what, what you thought something could be like. Maybe it was your family. Um, you, you had this, this ideal for what you wanted your family to, you know, family supposed to look like this. Or your relationship with your kids. Your, your relationship with your kids is supposed to be this. Um, or or maybe, maybe your church. Um, or your marriage. Or what racial equality in the world should look like. This is what it should look like. Um, this is what the ideal is. And then the reality of life beat that out of you. <laughs> is that I'm going to hurt you. And this is what life does to us. You know, you, often for many of us, we have an ideal of what we think things should be, and then life beats the crap out of you, and you're like, okay, clearly that's not going to happen. You give it up. You give it up. Or maybe, instead of giving it up, you just complain. You have an ideal about how you think you should be treated or what life should be like or what, your, what the church should be like. And instead of just come home and complain, the church isn't this. So weak, so terrible. Your work isn't this. And you, what if you love like Christ did? You come out of first place and you come down to the third and loving people from the third place is holding up, an, holding up the ideal and then giving your life to see it happen. For me, I, I have an ideal for what this church is or what this church should be and I'm going to give my life to see it happen. What ideal has Christ put in your heart that you have been called to give your life to see it happen. No, not, not standing back and complaining that it's, not, it's never going to happen or not giving up and thinking that it never can happen, but having the ideal and waiting in to see it happen, giving your life to see it happen. And the, the, and the way that you answer, we've talked about this before, the way that you answer that question is what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? What ideal do you have in mind that's not being reached that breaks your heart? So the, the ideal of, Every child should have a home or every child should, should, should be able to live in a place that's safe. And that clearly is not happening. If that ideal breaks your heart, then maybe that's an ideal that you need to hold up and say, how can I give my life to seeing that happen? What do I need to do to give my life to see that that happens? What breaks your heart? Give your life to it. Give your life for it. 
you, you, you've got some ideal, some dream that breaks your heart that's not being accomplished. And, and, uh, or maybe you used to have an ideal that you gave up on, but it's time to talk with God about resurrecting that ideal, um, holding it up and giving your life to seeing it happen and being patient and gracious with the rest of us who, who, are, who are too clueless to get it done. But giving your life to seeing it happen, working together to see it happen. That is one way in 2021 that we can love from the third place. What ideal breaks your heart? Because it's not happening. And would you be willing to give your life to see that it does? I would very much... um, because of my job, I get to talk to lots of people who the church has let them down in some way. Pastors have let them down in some way. And typically when they're telling me they're, 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 they're frustrated or they're hurt or they're upset, sometimes they're just complaining. Would you be willing to partner with me, give your life to see the church become what it should be, become the ideal that you have in your mind? So as we, as we get ready to take communion together today, I, I want to remind us, I want to remind us all, Christ holds up the ideal of the cross for our lives. Ideally, every Christian, every Jesus follower would learn to take up their cross daily. I, that, that's the ideal. And, and again, an incredible ideal. Uh, it's, it's what Christ wants for all of us, but it's impossible. We're far too self-centered for this. So what does he do? What does he do? He gives his life to help us do it. Just the example goes a long way. Imagine, taking, imagine the idea of, 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 of taking up your cross daily without the example of Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross. So we, wouldn't even, we wouldn't even know where to start. We wouldn't even know the idea of taking up our cross. We would have no idea what it meant without Jesus Christ's his example. Imagine, now imagine a life where you don't have to be good on your own. You don't have to live up to ideals on your own. But you can let Christ live in you. This is the first step to saving our lives, seeing our our, our ideals played out. It, It is embracing Christ's ideal for our, li- our ideal for our life of, of taking up our cross, putting ourselves to death that we can truly live. It's in putting ourselves to death that we can move from, from first place to third place. And loving from the third place means holding up the ideal and giving your life to see it realized. So let me pray as we take communion together today. And I want us to recommit to living a life like that. And maybe, maybe it's appropriate for you to pray, Father, what ideal breaks my heart. What ideal breaks my heart that I can give my life to seeing become a reality? Let's pray together. Dear Father, uh, for me personally, uh, obviously you've put in my heart a a few, a couple ideals and it's an, an, an ideal for what my family should be. I want to give my life to that. 
I'm going to give my life to, to helping that become a reality. And then the church. You've put in my heart, it breaks my heart that the church uh, isn't always what you dreamed it would be. But I, I want to give my life. I don't, want, I don't want to stand in first place just commanding and talking and being like, here's the idea. I hope you guys can reach it. I want to give my life, come to third place, and give my life seeing it happen. And not guilting people along the way, not telling people how awful they are along the way, but dying to myself and helping us get as close as we can to what that ideal is. There are, for the rest of us who are listening online or are in this room, reveal what breaks our hearts and we can give our lives to. Help us tonight, even though life can be so challenging and difficult, help us to not give up on the ideal. Help us to not release that ideal. Help us to still dream and to hope towards it. And then help us give our, li- help us give our lives. Because we, we can't begin to give our lives on our own. Help us to give our lives towards seeing that ideal become real. During this time of communion, while we remember your life, your death, your resurrection, help us to learn to make our lives look like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.